I'm so thrilled and excited to be joined today by your pretty big celebrity, Jess. <laughs> you are pretty <laughs> big celebrity, <laughs> Dr. Jess, uh, sex with Dr. Jess. Um, I forget what the couple's uh, part of what your empire that you're building now is, but you know, you do a lot of talking, you're an author, um, you give a lot of counseling and stuff. So I just want to thank you so much for being on the Ready Fox Show today. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. And you and I go way, way back to mm-hmm. our nightclub days. Yes. Yeah. You know what? And I was uh, reading up to uh, just to familiarize myself with your career because that's where we kind of lost touch because I was DJing and you were working at the bar and um, saw each other all the time. And you're always so nice to me. And you always hooked up the drink. So thank you so much for that. I said like a 30 year thank you after the fact. But thank you so much. That was it was a lot of fun, those nights at, um, in Fluid. It was good. <laughs> it was probably one drink for you, one drink for me. So Right. Yeah. yeah my liver's not thanking me. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. And yeah, I've definitely cut back now as the years have gone by, for sure. Just as you get older, you get a little more responsible, and you get more responsibilities that you have to deal with, so you can't just be in the clubs drinking so much. But we were there having fun. And I want to ask you, was Brandon working in Fluid there when we were working there? Oh, no, he didn't work at Fluid. So you're talking about my husband, Brandon. Brandon and I met working at Hotel Nightclub. So prior to our Fluid days. So we were together back then. Okay. But he was was the bar back at my bar. Right. And one night I was like, oh, I like you. And so (laughs) (laughs) we hooked up and ended up moving in together a few days later. And now we're, I think, 19 or 20 years down the road. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. And he's so grateful that you had to take the initiative in that, eh? Yeah, thank God somebody did. Right. Because we know he... (laughs) Yeah, so that's the thing, because I was reading that up and I was like, okay, so he did work in the industry for a little while, too, before he started getting into real estate, right? So I was like, did did he work at Fluid at the same time when we were working at Fluid? That's what I was wondering, so no. No, as you recall, the nightclubs always had, let's say there were 10 bars, there'd be like nine uh, bartenders who were girls, young women, (laughs) who all, you know, we all looked alike in some way, and and often one guy who rotated in and out. So he worked at the other clubs, though. He worked at Century Room and Devils, and as soon as I met him and we hooked up, I was like, let me teach you to bartend, because honestly, I mean, the type of bartending we were doing wasn't that hard. Right, right. Putting rum and coke together and opening a Heineken. And it's just more money uh, than what he was doing. Yeah, Exactly. Right. See, there you go. So you just started to upgrade him immediately as soon as you got your your hands on him, basically. (laughs) Something like that. I mean, I think uh, he's probably done more upgrading to me. So we're pretty lucky. Oh, so it's a mutual upgrade. It's going both ways, which is the way it's supposed to be, right? I assume. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, good working relationship. You guys should be helping each other to grow you know, and you continue to grow as your lives go on. So I wanted to talk to you about a lot of stuff, actually, uh, Jess. I want to talk about how are couples managing during a pandemic? And I actually had an argument, well, not an argument, a discussion with a friend, because I was actually saying, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you're the expert. I think this has never been a better time than now to meet somebody. I, I think so. Everyone else is saying like, you know, we're, you know, quarantined or you're stuck in your homes or, you know, very limited going out options with everything kind of quasi open, quasi closed. Right. And I was like, no, but if you want to do it the right way and you actually want to take the time to get to know someone, wouldn't this be the best time to meet somebody? I don't know. What do you think? What, where do you fall on it? Is everyone's kind of quarantined off, so to speak? things are sort of open, is now a good time to meet someone? Well, I think it's a little from column A and a little from column B. So on one hand, uh, we are restricted by our movement. And so there are less opportunities, perhaps, to meet people because we're not in as many larger social situations, right? You're not going right. out for after-work drinks. Uh, you're, you're, you're not meeting people at birthday parties and whatnot because we're limited in the number of people we can gather with. However, I love what you're saying about the fact that this time has forced us to slow down the ways in which we connect and communicate and cultivate intimacy and even negotiate sex. And I, I think you're right that the, you know, throwing a, a net far and wide, like so many people do on dating apps, just with Hi, 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 you're cute, you're cute, you're cute. I don't think that is going to fly as well right now. And that's what I'm hearing from daters. When people actually take the time to read your profile, maybe look through your pictures and, and 
approach you in a way that shows that they've invested something. And it's not just like, hey, let's see if this one works and let's try that one and see what sticks. I think that we have seen a shift. And because, you know, many people aren't open to hooking up with multiple partners right now, it is focused, you know, forcing many of us to focus more specifically and choose more wisely in so much as, you know, we're going to ask more questions. We're going to have preemptive conversations that perhaps we weren't having before. So, you know, if we we go back to pre-pandemic, people would ask questions like, well, how do I know if we're exclusive? Like, how can I tell if they're dating anyone else? Should I check on the apps and see if they're still on there? And of course, my answer is, can you please ask them, right? Can you please just talk about why is that never the first option that people think of to just directly ask the person why well i think it it, it comes from the notion that there are hacks that there are surefire signs that there are surefire red flags that uh you know are rooted in or you know reflected at least in in for instance pickup culture the idea of trying to get someone into bed with you or to hook up with you uh by duplicitous means by tricking them by manipulation and there's an entire industry best-selling books that will, you know, forever have sold more than any of my books (laughs) Uh, on on this specifically. So I think that, you know, this idea that there are tricks or there are rules or, you know, you have to wait three dates or three hours or X number of text messages, instead of just being honest, being vulnerable, knowing that rejection is the part of life. If you are not emotionally equipped to manage rejection, you're not going to make it through life feeling okay. You're just certainly not going to be a fair dater or a, you know, a good friend or a good partner. And so I think sometimes, uh, you know, these tactics come from a fear of rejection, which of course all humans share, like it doesn't feel good to ever be rejected. Can I ask you about this rejection thing? Because again, I, I've kind of argued with women about this because I just feel like guys just deal with rejection just way more than women do. Do you, do you not agree with that? Or is that a fallacy or a myth or? No, that, that's true. So in the hetero context, sure. um, I, w- I would say that men are tasked with approaching women. Men in, in long-term relationships, oftentimes, and of course there are exceptions, but oftentimes there's a gender role expectation that you also initiate sex. And that sets men up in the hetero context for more voluminous rejection. And women, in fact, many of us have been taught and socialized to avoid rejection at all costs, it becomes, you know, a part of our social capital that, for example, we can have anyone, we can have sex whenever we want. And this leads to some really problematic um, conflicts, tensions, breakdowns in relationships, because even if, you know, you fall into that in a bar where, you know, you have to walk up to a woman and a woman like me, I have to wait to be approached. Even if you fall into that, even if that happens to work in the beginning, in the long run, we know that relationships don't work if we simply divide tasks and expectations along gender lines. Right. Now, does that mean you can't be in a relationship where, you know, the male partner happens to like to to do more of the initiating? That's fine. And the woman perhaps doesn't like to. If that if that's your dynamic, that's fair. But I will tell you from having worked with thousands and thousands of couples across the world, across culture. So I'm talking Canada, the States, India, China, mm-hmm. um, you know, Pakistan, Turkey, all over the place. I know that problems arise when the onus of responsibility for anything, whether it's sex, whether it's childcare, whether it's domestic labor, whether it's, uh, you know, emotional discussions, when that onus falls on one partner, it tends to lead to tension, conflict, and, and eventually relationship dissolution, whether you break up or not. Right. Sometimes the relationship falls apart and you stay together. Like we all know that. <laughs> You know, especially right. from our parents' generation. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it was just traditional to not break up regardless of how unhappy you were in the situation you happened to be in. It was just not done for, like, decades and decades and decades. Probably, because, what, divorce kind of got a little less uh, taboo, but in the 80s, I guess, for the most part, is when it really... Yeah, well, it became more accessible, too, right. through, through no-fault divorce. Right. And actually, we've seen the divorce rate decline really significantly over the last decade or just over the last, it might be 15 years, we see some really significant declines in the rates of divorce, but alongside those declines come decline in marriage. So more people are opting out. And this is a good thing. So people are not getting more traditional again. uh, No, I, I think what people are 
are becoming is more open about and more contemplative about their needs, right? right? You don't have to get married. You don't have to be monogamous. You don't have to be anything. But hopefully you look at your buffet of choices, really think about what works for you emotionally, relationally, practically, sexually, and decide, hey, you know what? This is a good fit for me. Rather than jumping into a marriage and then cheating on the side because you, you know, you have these needs that you feel aren't being met. Right. Now you can actually say, you know what? I don't know if monogamy is for me. I don't know if marriage is for me. Maybe I can be open in communicating my needs, desires, boundaries, expectations, and we can, you know, bespoke design a relationship that works. I think a lot of people fall into that mindset, though, of it's like a mindset trap almost of the traditional. It's either you're single or you're in a monogamous relationship, whether it's gay, heterosexual or whatever. But to I talk about this on a different podcast, but the fact to have multiple partner relationships, like what, polyamorous? Is, is what sure. it's referred to as or whatever, just to have the options of thinking about what exactly is it that you want that doesn't fall inside of that trap mindset of what we've been taught all our lives kind of thing. How do people break out of that? Or is because I think a lot of people will kind of live in denial almost because they really think they only have two options. Yeah, I mean, I think younger folks are are more open to these conversations. Like right. even the language of consensual or ethical non-monogamy is, is more accessible today than it was 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. So how do you break out of it? Um, well, what I really encourage people to do is, is really contemplate two things, your relational values and your sexual values. Okay. So we all have relationships and we all have sex for the most part. But most of us don't really stop and think about what those things mean to us. Like what, what is the value? What is it that I want? Um, what are the benefits I hope to derive? What are the benefits I hope to impart? And so I actually just recently wrote a book. Uh, and I have a co-author who I have to shout out uh, because it, she did half of the work, okay. uh, Marla Renee Stewart. And the book is called The Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay. But it's really not just about seduction and foreplay. It's about better understanding your own needs, your own values. You know, you, you only have so long on this on this planet. So if you're lucky enough to get 99 years, do you want to waste any of that time? playing games see so that like it almost seems like then to be good at whatever seduction or finding the right partner more so it's not even a question of that you focus on the other people's more so is that you have to focus on yourself first right until you really know what it is that you want how are you gonna kind of seduce the right partner so to speak right so is is it really the first step having to be to know yourself i guess Yeah, and a a little bit of introspection that, you know, we have never been given the tools or the formula or even like the prompts to consider, you know, what what does sex mean to me? Why do I like sex? What are the emotional components that matter to me? What are the relational? What are the practical? What are the physical? Um, You know, what were the early messages that I received about sex? Which of those messages do I want to retain? Which of those messages do I want to retool or discard? Like if we could just begin with that even in sex ed, we're labeling the freaking ovaries and vas Thank deferens. You. That's what I was going to say. That's the problem with why people are not really, I don't think, naturally coming to the, like, they have to come and talk to someone like you in order to get this advice to be like, oh, this is what I should have been doing. Because honestly, no one's ever said to me, you know, you also have to reflect on, like, all these different aspects of what sex means to you. And why do you want to have it in the first place? Most of the time, it's just, the, you know, the carnal lust you know, physical enjoyment of it per se, but it goes so much further psychologically speaking, of course, obviously, but, um, sex ed, why, so what would be a good age? Cause I can already feel parents freaking out. If we even start going down this path, you know where I'm going with this. So at what age for schooling can we start to have those kind of conversation with kids so that they can actually get to that adult year where they're going out into the world and they have a better mindset about how they're going to approach people and why they're going to have sex with someone. What, where would we start? Well, first, I want to say that talking about sex and teaching comprehensive sex ed does nothing to hasten the onset of sexual behavior. And so, in fact, we know the opposite is true. The more we provide comprehensive sex ed, the more likely they are to have the skills and tools to delay sex, should that be what aligns with their own values. How do those the conservative likely- parents get to that mindset of thinking if you teach them they're going to wind up having sex more though i don't get that 
Well, it, it comes from fear and our own discomfort. So if I'm uncomfortable talking about something, and this happens in so many realms, not just sex, we say, what about the children, right? Always, what about the children? When really, this has nothing to do with the children. This has to do with my own discomfort around the topic. And so this is how I got into this field, right? I, I think, you know, I was a high school teacher. I saw the gaps in the system. I had young people coming to me with unplanned pregnancies, with STIs, with unhealthy relationships, with abusive relationships, with all of these Issues that, of course, intersected with other issues of poverty, of race, of sexuality, of gender identity, right? Yeah. And so all my students who are already kind of forced to the margins in every possible way were the last to receive good sex ed that actually mattered to them. So that's how I found myself in this field uh, upon realizing that we don't have supports. We don't have resources. As teachers, we're thrown into the fire and, and told, hey, teach this really difficult topic that is probably really hard for you, probably going to piss some parents off, for sure. really uncomfortable for the students. And there's no textbook. There's, there's no guidelines, right? Like if you teach math, if you teach history, if mm -hmm. you teach geography, there are textbooks, as imperfect as they be, there is there they may be, there are some guidelines. Right. And so when when it comes back to, you know, parents and talking to young people, what we know is we want it to be ongoing and early. The earlier you start normalizing these conversations and know that when you talk to a two-year-old, it's not about sex. It's about the foundational skills and language that will eventually be used in sex ed. So for example, when we're talking about consent with a two-year-old. We're not asking to consent to anything sexual. We're saying, like, is it okay if I give you a hug? You give them an option as to whether or not an uncle or an auntie or a cousin can give them a kiss. We're not forcing them to do things with their bodies. And we're laying the groundwork so that they know they have a say over their body. And they also know, and we have to learn, that upsetting people, making other people perhaps feel rejected is also okay. So if I don't feel like, like, for example, we're, we're in a great time to explain this. So COVID, for example, right. I'm being, you know, fairly careful. Um, Brennan and I are pretty much only bubbled together. I see my friends outside. We, we gather, you know, in front of the house and in the back. But, uh, you know, I'm not really hugging people. And that's just the truth. I hug one person other than Brandon uh, at a, at and a that's funeral. So against your nature, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I am usually like kind of going in for it. Right. Um, but now I'm, you know, people are asking, like, are you hugging? And I, I or even before, if I see them put their arms out, right. I just say, oh, I'm just air hugging. Because right. quite frankly, I, I'm just, you know what? I, I love life. Like, I have a nice life. I have no complaints. And I'm, it's just not a risk I'm trying to take. And right. people may be judging me. And that's also okay. But I'm setting this boundary. And so actually, I'm really excited with the talk of COVID. Obviously, I'm not excited by COVID and and I realized that, you know, this is right. a really Difficult serious and tragic people, yeah. time for most people, of course. Yeah. Um, but but what I'm thankful for is the conversation around safety and boundaries and comfort. And that's what I, what I love about your optimism toward dating. Right. People are now asking questions like, are you up for meeting in person? Are you up for this? Rather than fumbling around in the dark and doing first and asking later, People have started to normalize these conversations, and I hope that that's parlayed into the bedroom, into dating in the future. And so this is the same thing I say to parents, right? We are, we're normalizing conversations so that they know the names of their body parts. We're answering questions at an age-appropriate level. So, you know, if a three-year-old asks, where do babies come from? It's different than if a six-year-old or, I mean, by nine years old, they really should understand by then, but a nine-year-old asking. So, you know, there are always what we call, like as teachers, we just call them teachable moments, right? So right. If, if you see somebody who's pregnant, um, you know, you don't, we no longer say things like, oh, the stork put it in there, right? We, we say that, you know, there's a baby growing in in inside of there, right? And depending on the age, they might understand that it's growing in, in something called a uterus. Right. Um, if they're really, really young, maybe they're not ready for that language, that's fine. But kids can understand that a, a sperm fertilizes an egg. And they, they can understand that from a fairly young age. In fact, I can find you a resource, and you can put it in your show notes, sure. for parents for age-appropriate learning. Now, can I say all six-year-olds are ready at this level? No, of course not. Every six-year-old is different. Right. And you know your kid. And you are the expert in your kid. Absolutely. However, 
um, you know, be really mindful, get a little vulnerable and dig deep and ask yourself, are you holding back because of your discomfort? Or are you really holding back because your kid isn't ready? And if you're a parent, you're probably not a sex expert. For the most part, in terms of whatever your vocation is, there's very few parents that are in that vocation. So you do have to surrender some control over to, you know, educators for the sake of your children, as long as obviously the educators' intentions are in the best place, which, you know, we had that, um, you know, whole fiasco when Doug Ford jumped back into government there and kind of changed the whole sex curriculum without, um, you know, talking to the educators about it before he did it. So I, just a question for you, just how from seeing education from the inside and now being where you are, looking back, if you could just wave a magic wand and change the education system, what would be the first thing that you would fix? Um, and that the big philosophical answer is I'd make it more student centered so that different types of students can learn in very different ways. Right. Uh, and I think that it has to be underscored by a social justice lens, every single goddamn subject from math to history to geography. And uh, I just want to point out a resource. Yeah. I pulled sure. up my phone here because I, I have a, I have a colleague, Dr. Nadine Thornhill, who is also a sex educator uh, that I, re I recommend people follow because she really focuses on parents and kids. Say She's also time. Toronto. Uh, Nadine Thornhill. And she has a, a YouTube series that is for young people in the school. So I'll just kind of, I don't know if you can see Nadine yep. Thornhill there. If it's Dr. a little Nadine bit backward. Dr. Nadine Thornhill. There you go. I'm going to follow yeah. her. Sex educator. There you go. Uh, what's her, can you show it again? Maybe we can just call out what her Instagram at is. Yeah, it's okay. Nadine Thornhill. Yeah, Nadine Thornhill. All one word to you guys. All one word. There if you, you Exactly. So, yeah. And uh, she has a, a, a program called Everybody Curious. And they walk you through kind of all levels of sex ed for multiple ages. And she does a really good job with real students right. doing real learning in the classroom. So now... As some parents are tasked with homeschooling, uh, we obviously are really imploring them not to leave sex and relationship education out of the curriculum. And Nadine's program is a really good place to start. And, and you don't, as a parent, I think sometimes we don't talk about things because we're afraid that we don't have all the answers or right. we're going to get stumped or we're going to look stupid. But uh, listen, I do this for a living. I live, breathe, study, constantly reading, and I still feel like I know the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest really? amount. Still? Yes. Really, there is eh? so much to learn. And so I don't put that expectation on myself. There's right. always, there are always new terms, new trends. Everything's um, changing all the time, research. too. Yeah, I don't, I don't have to answer all of the questions. And so if, if you're stumped by your kid, and I tell teachers this all the time, because I, I actually train teachers to deliver sex ed, classroom-based sex ed. That's my passion. It's not what I do for a living, but it's what matters to me most. But I tell them, you don't have to answer questions on the spot. And if you don't know the answer, that's an opportunity to say, you know what, this is a great question. I didn't know the answer. So I went looking on the Planned Parenthood site, or I went to this Toronto Public Health site, or I went to Scarlet Teen. So you're also connecting them with positive digital resources right. instead of pretending you know it all. And, you know, that's that's also an old model of teaching. I was just going to say, yeah, it's been so long since I I've been a kid answers. in school. Yeah, like it always felt like as a kid that your teacher is supposed to know everything all the time. Yeah. Like no matter <laughs> what the question is, if it's subject is math, then you expect them to know all the answers. I, I can't even remember for the life of me of a teacher actually saying, you know what, I don't know the answer to that. You know, but imagine if they did and, and you used it as a way to like learn to learn together. Right. Because there's never a moment in time where you're imparted with all the knowledge you need about anything. Right. Like I, I can't I've been studying yeah. this for I don't even know how many years. Like I started as a peer counselor in 2000. It was I think the year I met Brandon. So maybe it was 2001. And I've been doing this a while and I, I really do work hard at it. And I still don't know everything and I still can get stumped and I still make mistakes. And right. Listen, I, I, again, if you carry that over into relationships, that's really important to be able to say, I screwed up or I'm sorry, or I could do better, mm -hmm. or this is how I'm going to try and change the way I think and behave in the future. I think that's always the root of problems in relationships. I, at least I can speak personally for myself for all the amount of times I screwed up in the past is that I really wasn't looking at myself in all the ways that I screwed up. I was always just so focused on the things that I didn't like seeing from my partner in terms of how she was acting or this and that. And, you know, it's able to, it's way easier to look outward and pick something 
and nitpick on that instead of looking inward and, you know, doing the hard self-reflection in terms of what did I do to screw up? The, how did I contribute to this being what it is currently, why we're both unhappy right now, right? Like, that's the part we always seem to skip over that and just get right to the, well, you did this and you did that. Of course. Yeah, we always look for external sources of deficits and then internal sources of kind of validating our own behavior. And I'm the same, like we're all knowing it is, is really only the half the battle. Yeah, it's part right? of the battle. And then you have to stop yourself. Like I know with my personality, I can really dig in like, and I'm, you know, I can, I'm maybe good at trying to win an argument and I have to stop myself and remember that I'm not trying to win. We're trying to resolve this. Like I've got this yeah. super nice partner and a really nice life together. And I just, I want to be lying with him or standing with him, hopefully, you know, when I'm 99 or 108 or however. That's just us growing and getting older and getting more mature, right? You get a little head start on everybody because you're literally doing this for a living in terms of helping people, you know, come on, Jess, you have so much more information than the average person. You, yes. So you've yes. got a head start for your own relationship in terms of being able to keep it, you know, on balance more so than the rest of us that come to you for the advice to do that, right? Well, I always joke that I have all the information, but Brennan actually like applies it because <laughs> he'll always be like, remember that thing you said? I'm like, right. that's for everybody else right now. I'm right. that, you know, so I have, to, I have to work on, I have to work on all my stuff too. But that's interesting. Uh, I, I mean, I can just speak from, from my personal, not professional perspective. Like we have such a nice thing going and I feel very in love and right. I feel very lucky every damn day. And I do, uh, I love this feeling. Like I can't imagine life being richer. Right. Um, and I, I want people to, if they want it, not everybody wants a relationship, but I want everybody to be able to have that. Like that's what I'm really trying to do. And sex is the hook, but relationships is ultimately the real investment and the real outcome. Like, yeah, it's sure. great to have great sex, but you, you know, sex doesn't occur in a vacuum, obviously. And so, <laughs> you know, you've right. got to communicate and and work on emotional literacy and be open and and be open to you know admitting your mistakes and and See, so acknowledging let's tie that around right back to today now because you don't have that hook nobody's got that hook right now for the most part it reversed it's easier you can be out you meet somebody you hook up and then you start the relationship thing with a lot of people being at home now and you know asking more questions than they used to before it's less hook more questions now right so I still stand by it, and I think I'm right. This is a good time. If you really want to have an actual good foundation of starting a relationship with someone, now is the time to do it. I think so, anyways. I agree with you. I agree. I, I think it also depends on the ways in which you connect with people, because some people are more kinesthetic, more physical people, and that inability to touch right away or to gauge what they call chemistry or compatibility based on that touch can be hard for them. And so it forces us to use those other skills, like the verbal skills and right. the audio skills and, and for some people spiritual, but you know, I think you're right. I think it's, I think it's a, a good time to slow down in every respect, whether it's like personally, relationally in business, sexually, all of those things. But it could only go for so long before you would have to at least get together in person, like I would, I would give it maybe at least if you guys meet online through Tinder or whatever social dating type thing, and then it graduates to maybe having Zoom conversations the way we are right now. That's this is how much of a decent start of a relationship could you do this way? Uh I mean, we, we have data showing that digital connections are real. Right. You can develop uh, feelings, like for example, like separate from dating. We have data showing that uh, young people, for example, develop digital empathy. So we see this in social movements. So if you live in a, you know, a small town and, for example, you've never met trans folks, but you see a story about trans folks online or you engage with folks who are different than you online, you can develop that empathy. And so, I mean, feelings are real. Feelings are all we've got, right. <laughs> really, right? Yeah. Um, and you can amass you know, other types of things, but ultimately how you feel is so important. So yeah, I think you can develop a, a really significant relationship online. And I want to mention that there are also hurdles. Uh, you know, for example, uh, it can be really exhausting to speak online and we expend a lot of our energy 
uh, paying attention to cues that we might not normally notice. So if we go on a first date and we're in a restaurant, there are so many ambient distractions that help to kind of put us at ease and make it so that I don't notice every, you know, oh, of sure. your face, that makes sense. of your hand, right, right. every piece of posture, you know, like a waiter comes up and asks you how you're doing. There's yeah. music. You might this run way, into people. It's just you. That's all I'm looking at. I'm just zoned in on you and nothing else. There's nothing else distracting me. So yeah, that's other than yourself. So it's 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 very intense one to one. But then there's also a self consciousness where like if I I'm down at the bottom, so I'm not looking at myself right now. But I might catch myself looking at myself, and then I see you looking at me, and so it's there's you know there is a real exhaustion from being online, and so you know what I'm encouraging people to do is to to play with you know different platforms, whether it's being online one on one like this or just talking on the phone very old school or sending voice notes, which is kind of a nice balance between the two or um even joining events together online. So uh, a first date doesn't have to be as intense as this sitting right. in and being eye to eye. It could be, for example, we go to like a trivia night together or online, or we go to, um, you know, a, an online performance that or a concert or DJ that's of interest of, to both of us. And then we kind of, kind of debrief after. Sure. So I know for some people, this is really, really high pressure. And um, it worries me that it could be leaving some people out of, the equation. Um, I know like with older people, for example, like I'm trying to, when I was trying to zoom with some older people in my family near the beginning, setting them up was really challenging. And sure. we have to remember that like it's older the old folks VCR thing too. again. <laughs> oh my gosh. Which button is it? Which button? It's the old VCR <laughs> thing all remote? over again. It's just zoom now. That's, that's all it is really. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So there you go. Um, that's crazy. So what about the couples though, that are already, they're already in a relationship pandemic hits and now your whole lifestyle changes in terms of how are like you don't have those relationship crutches like restaurants and clubs and stuff to kind of keep the spice going so to speak especially if you're trying to be responsible and stay indoors as much as possible it is kind of possible i think that couples might start to grade on each other a little bit in that regard so how are couples from your expert perspective navigating this new reality in terms of kind of being indoors more so and how are they keeping their relationship from kind of almost imploding just from being around each other too much? Well, I think that in the beginning when it was cold, what I was telling people and what I was hearing was that they were really struggling. So not only are you stuck together and you're stuck with the lack of novelty and all the familiarity and just the kind of boredom that comes from staying in, but also we're, we're dealing with like a lot of ups and downs in our feelings in terms of fear, in terms of grief, in terms of dealing with the fact that, you know, everything has changed, whether it's your financial situation or your job or just your lifestyle. And so, you know, what I was really trying to help couples to do in the beginning was work on just surviving and not thriving. Like not everything has to be perfect. You don't have to have the hottest sex of your life. You don't have to make sweeping changes when there already are so many thrown at you um, in which you don't have a choice. Then if we're talking more to like a Canadian audience, as the, as the weather got warmer, uh, I think I saw relationships improve a little because at least you could go out and have, you know, a drink or a coffee with a friend in a park, or you could, you know, you could do some things that felt um, a little bit more normal, like yeah. going for a walk or going for a bike ride or even driving out of town if, if you have a car. So uh, I am very worried about what the colder weather is going to bring mm. for, for folks in the north and the psychological toll it could take on us. Um, but I, what, what I see couples doing is what you're talking about is, is talking more than ever, right. like talking about their feelings. Um, we used to avoid serious conversations because, well, the kids needed to get to soccer and I've got to go to this birthday party and we've and got bustle. a wedding this weekend. Yeah. And now um, really there's no excuse. There's, I mean, I, I'm really guilty of this and I have to remind myself that there's no such thing as not having time. It's, it's for me, it's a matter of, I don't make time. So I can say, Oh, I don't have time for that. But what I'm really saying is I don't make time for that. Cause I always say if, if Oprah called tomorrow, if Obama called tomorrow you and asked me to time. clear my schedule, I'd be like, Oh man, I got all the time in the world for you. Right. 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 And so I, I'm seeing couples make time and have conversations. And we actually are seeing data showing that people are happier than ever Good. in their relationship. Oh, that's, yeah, I'm glad to feeling, hear that. 
because yeah, they're I'm, feeling closer than ever. Because I've been worried. Because there's the the real dark side of it is that you know domestic abuse has gone up. Apparently, well, at least from what I've heard statistically, I don't have hard numbers about it. But mm-hmm. it's yeah. just that it, that's been a concern on top of just the overall arching thing of mental health for everybody dealing with this pandemic and. You know, everyone is dealing with it in different ways. And, you know, it's an adjustment for literally everybody in terms of your business and personal life. But then for the couple aspect of it and then the domestic abuse part of it, I've been worried about that as well. And I'm, I can see the look on your face, too. You've probably been more yeah, I'm, so I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because abuse like festers in private. And yeah. we have law for a long time in Western culture, we've created a very individualistic culture. And part of that individualistic culture means that we have a private and a public sphere. And we're very strict about that kind of like work or pleasure. Is it private or is it public? And domestic abuse and abuse in general thrives in that private domestic sphere. Uh, Yeah. And in, uh, in cultures that are more collectivist marriage and family is not necessarily between two people. It can be between two families, two communities, two groups, multiple groups. Right. But in this very individualistic culture, uh, we have to be really mindful that, um, that if we keep that strict public-private divide, we put other people at risk. We say things like, well, I'm not going to get involved in their business. And the reality is, if you are worried about, uh, if you suspect that somebody is dealing with abuse, it is your business to offer them support. It's not your business to solve it, but what can you do to reach out and just let them know that you're here? What can you do to reach out and be really specific about what you can offer to them? Like, can you offer money? Can you offer a place to stay? Can you offer an open listening ear? Can you offer, you know, assist with research uh, into resources? Because when somebody is dealing with abuse, um, oftentimes they, first of all, they're emotionally emotionally worn down to nothing. They Mm -hmm. may be physically worn down, but also they may not even have access to Google the way you have access. They may be able to get on Google, but they may be fearful their partner is going to find out. So if they start Googling, you know, women's shelters or domestic abuse hotlines, and they don't, you know, maybe know how to delete that, um, or their partner's constantly standing over them, uh, it it really is, a, I think, a big, uh, important piece for you to do the research for them rather than, hey, call a hotline, be able to say to them, here is a hotline. It, It may be, you know, finding out when they can talk because they may be very restricted in the times that they can talk. And let's remember that domestic abuse is not just physical. It can be financial. It can be practical. It can be emotional. And people can control other people in many, many ways. So just because you're not seeing bruises uh, or, you know, scars doesn't mean that there isn't something else here. So uh, I do, I have a podcast actually on how you can support someone if you believe that they're the victim of intimate partner violence because a a friend of mine and a colleague in my field um and i i I should maybe give a warning here that what i'm about to say is upsetting Uh, she was killed back in the first quarter of this year by an ex who was violent with her i think they hadn't dated and I, i may have the the dates a little wrong in in over a decade so she was also a sex therapist. So the headlines, of, co- of course, rang out very sensationally because she had, you know, dated some people who were high profile. And so all the headlines were like Hollywood sex therapist uh, murdered. But she had a restraining order against him for a long, long period. And the restraining order expired. So here's another thing we can we can be doing. We can be advocating for change to support victims of domestic and intimate partner violence because she was forced to go back and face him in court and and she decided not to do it. And then it expired only like I want to say months prior to him coming to our house. And and she's gone now. She was was a lot like me. We had a lot in common. Um, She she worked the same circles. And so after she passed, I, I did record an episode on some things we can do to support uh, folks in, in our lives. And, and don't assume that it has to be their best friend. Don't assume that they have to be your sister or your brother or someone really close to you. If you see it and you're capable of offering any support, uh, please reach out, especially now when people are more isolated. Yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry for your loss of your friend. That's a horrible... Yeah, I mean, we, we weren't super close. She's so... a very, very good friend of a good friend. Yeah, and really just tragic and the thing i want people to remember is that these things happen all the time and Mm. we don't hear about it you know um with 
with people being really um, abused, but also, you know, very badly hurt and sometimes killed by domestic or intimate partners. So um, it's it's not a it's not a laughing matter. I know that pop culture has oftentimes kind of made a joke about it. Um, we hear lyrics even that, you know, yeah. talk about, you know, people who have a history of domestic violence in, in a joking way. And it's, it's not a joke, especially um, when you've been affected by it or you know someone who's been affected by it and, and knowing that we could all be affected by it. Yeah, yeah. And again, that, that was the, one of the first things that I was hearing, at least, uh, being spoken about it when the pandemic really hit and quarantine really got you know shut down is that this was not going to be a good situation for women that were already in situations that they were what if they were trying to get out of a situation and the same thing that you're saying like you have to be so strategic if you're in that situation in terms of when you can speak freely when you can actually get access to the information that you need maybe you can't get it at all because you're being literally watched day and night by you know this person and now pandemic hits and for your own health purposes you have to stay inside but it's it's almost like not <laughs> would you risk your life going out there with the pandemic or do you stay home where you risk your life i guess like it's it's really I, one of those things so i guess it, the onus is really on the neighbors for the most part but we got we got to look out for each other now right yeah and if you do know someone who's still fully isolated at home um these calls can be can be important too right, right. i know like more people are going outside now because at least you can go outside and be in the fresh air um, but as the weather turns again, uh, we, we need to make sure we're using using these tools to stay connected in different ways. Right. Uh, but also, you know, looking out for your own mental health, because I, I have to tell you in the beginning, when I was on these Zoom calls all day, I just I just felt like I'd been beaten by the end of the day. I felt right. so exhausted by it. And that's why I started doing the research into why these calls are more exhausting and, right. you know, little things like delays force me or force anyone to interpret emotions in a way that I'm not used to because if yeah I I like to be around people but also like in real life um you're able to pick up on the visual and tone all of those cues the body language everything plays a part in it as well like I I absolutely get it I understand that can I just ask you a question real quick you were just on Instagram and looked like you were cave diving somewhere in caves and stuff. And it looked so amazing. Where was that? How long ago was that? Like, like, did you just post just, those pictures recently? Was that like from a month ago where you were traveling or something? No, no. So obviously I'm grounded. So we've been taking car trips every weekend. Very okay. lucky to explore Ontario. And one of the highlights has been Gatineau Park. So just outside of Ottawa, on the other side of the border, just a few minutes away, is Gatineau Park. And so Gatineau has incredible hiking, beautiful, beautiful lakes, and uh, the Lusk Caves, so L-U-S-K, are on one of the, you'll, you'll find it very easily if people are interested in going. Right. And you, you hike to them, but you can take like a really easy road if you prefer. And then you kind of climb and walk and semi swim through them. And it's so cool. So it's mostly a little bit lit with some light coming down from the top, but parts of it are actually pitch black. So you either need a headlamp or we just used our iPhone, which was not a great idea. So I would definitely recommend people have a headlamp. Uh, And it was so cool. How did you find this place? It's probably... I'm just always like looking at different hikes and it came up on, uh, I think on my, I use an app for hiking called all trails Mm -hmm. and it's an amazing app. It's it's, there's a free version, but if you just pay like $20 a year or something like that, uh, you can use them offline. So it's super helpful and it records your, your path and you can, you can search whether you want to go to a hike with a waterfall or a hike that's a loop or a hike that has a hundred meters of elevation or 600 meters of elevation. So it's really cool. Okay. Yeah. It's a really, app so i found it there and that that was definitely one of my highlights like going to get to know i've been twice looked amazing the pictures looked awesome it was so cool and then there's another another hike there with an old abandoned mill and it's barely a hike like i I usually take a long loop to get to it but you can get there really easily if people maybe don't have the same mobility right um there's like an old mill you can visit there i've I've discovered so many treasures in ontario honestly like i went to the i went to the thousand islands 
and did some boat tours around the island. So that's kind of been a plus from being forced to not being able to travel the way you normally do, because you would probably just take off and go to Thailand normally or something like that, right? So because... Well, for work. (laughs) Okay, well, for work. It's usually work. It's usually work. But yes. Yeah, and in the summer... I go away. Like we usually take a little holiday in the summertime. But you, um, it's almost like a twofer for you sometimes. I mean, you do travel a lot for work. Obviously, you travel all over the world. But it's still because you even said that in one of your interviews that I was like reading up about you is that you kind of get the novelty of the traveling and Brendan comes with you as much as he can if work allows it for him to come with you on your business trips or whatever. But um, at least you get the novelty that way from your business trips as well. So when you do do a typical uh, speech where you're going somewhere to speak, how much free time do you actually get yourself to actually see some of the city? It just depends on the season. So like in February, I was in, I think, 15 cities in, you know, 17 days. So I don't really get any time. Right. But um, sometimes I'll take an extra day or an extra couple of days. I have some gigs that are, uh, you know, kind of easy where like, for example, I, I usually do a European cruise a couple of times a year where I just speak on the cruise and I only give two speeches. And so every day I get to be in a different city. And I mean, I have some responsibilities in that, like, you know, right. I need to show up, show up to the parties at night and stuff like that. But right. it's pretty pretty chill. Um, my, my hack. So first of all, I love my job and I love travel and I'm never tired of it. And I've been doing it for a long time and people are always telling me, uh, Oh, you're going to get sick of it, but I'm absolutely not Why sick, would you of, get it. sick I'm, of traveling. Well, cause it can get exhausting. So it is very, if tiring. you don't enjoy like, it. Yeah. And some people like, for instance, Brandon wouldn't come with me if I was flat. So sometimes I fly in the morning, speak at night, fly in the morning, speak at night. And that's too much for some people. Oh, okay. Uh, but sure. what I do that's is if I don't have a lot of time, I at least try and like schedule a lunch or go to a local coffee shop so I can get the vibe. You know, like one time I was in Romania and I only had a day. So I just went to a local place that was doing wine tasting for like half an hour. And I went to a local coffee shop for like an hour just to get the vibe of like the entrepreneurs in the city and whatnot. So I didn't hit any of the tourist spots necessarily. And you know, life, I've got other time. I was actually supposed to go back to Romania uh, maybe about a month ago, but I obviously had to cancel. So, I mean, I'm always going to get to go back. And that's what I was going to say though. How many, because I would think from a business perspective for you, everything changed as well. Not just from a couple perspective in terms of, you know, being stuck in the house with Brandon, so to speak, not that you feel stuck with him, but you know what I'm saying, but your lifestyle because of your work was so much traveling and that completely stopped for the most part. So how was that for you? An adjustment from the business perspective, because everyone has had to adapt. Everyone has had to be somewhat nimble in terms of how, you know, they readjust their, you know, business platform so to speak in terms of how they go about doing it what did how did you adjust well I've taken these events virtually now and um I I, I'll tell you I don't don't like it I love being like on the stage with people feeling the energy in the flesh right um I'm grateful to get to do it digitally but it's not my first choice uh so I have like a tour coming up in India and I think it's 14 cities or something like that and now it's all digital so the advantage of course is that you know, I don't have to get on a plane every morning because it does like in, in, you know, India, because it's such a big country and because it's so populated, it's not like, you know, landing in Toronto and the and downtown's half an hour away. Sometimes you have to land in a region and, and then take a car three hours from there. So it, it can be exhausting. I, I wouldn't complain. I'd still take it <laughs> if I could do it again. Right. And I really like India. So, yeah, I've just moved everything digital. Um, I'm doing a lot more digital courses so that people can learn online so I have my brand happier couples and I, in fact sex with dr. Jess is going to be fully rebranded to happier couples and I'm really excited for this because oh, nice. I've got a great yeah board of advisors so it's not just me and Brandon we've got all these 10 other brilliant couples some of them are experts in the field some of them are not just oh, to amazing. share their yeah I'm really excited when is so that more online happen? learning uh, two years ago so <laughs> <laughs> hopefully in the next uh, couple of months, but uh, it's, it's been in the works for a while. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a real shift in terms of business. Personally, uh, it felt very hard and I felt mm-hmm. very conflicted because on one hand, I'm super lucky. Like I, I know how lucky I am. You know, I'm in the first world 
living with everything I need. And, and so this is really just an inconvenience for me, whereas all over the world, people are literally dying. Yeah. And it just, you know, just outside, folks are for, forced to go to work in unsafe conditions and put themselves at risk. And that's why we see higher rates of, you know, COVID infection among people who are living in poverty, pe- people who are brown and black, people who are working the front lines. And when people hear frontline workers, of course, they just think like doctors and nurses. But these are the people who have been pumping gas and working in grocery stores and yep. working in convenience stores yep. and being forced back to work. Like, I, I won't forget that the Ontario government, one of the first groups they allowed back to work were house cleaners, right? Because God forbid folks live without their house. Now, if house cleaners want to go back to work and make money, I, I fully understand well, why is that, that a priority? Right, right. And I, I mean, I want to support their livelihood, obviously. But yeah, so there's all of these um, layers to it. So I was obviously, you know, really disappointed when all these things got canceled. And I had a big birthday celebration planned over here because I had a big birthday this year. Um, and all of it got canceled. But you know, right. I, I'm lucky. I'm lucky in that I'm able to work digitally. Um, it is a huge shift in lifestyle because I usually fly at least a couple times a week. Right. Um, so it, it's and I love flying. I love airplanes. I'm like super, super into planes. <laughs> so I'm definitely, um, you know, ad- adjusting. And now that the weather is more manageable, uh, I'm definitely in a better mood. I'm, I'm not a cold weather person. And right. that's one of the advantages of my job is that I never really have to be here in the cold weather. Right, right. Sure. Um, you can avoid it. Just work. Yeah. All you, do, all you yeah. got to do is work. <laughs> all I got to do is go to work. And then another shift is that my my father lives with us. So my dad's 77. Right. He's been living with Brandon and I for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years. Okay. And when we came home, we needed, we had been flying all, I had been literally, I had been in all the hot spots in the last week. I'd been in New York, Miami, and then Jamaica. Jamaica was fine. And, um, so we we had to move him nearby, just a block away so that we could isolate. Because back then, that was March, when like people were dying and they were finding bodies in a U-Haul in New York. Yeah. Because they didn't have the refrigerator. Like, it was yeah. bad. We, we already seen how bad it was back. in Italy at that time, too. That was bad enough from what we had seen in Italy, much less how bad it got in New York, which exactly it was really scary it was really a scary time especially in march like it feels like we've kind of adjusted and kind of settled into it a bit but it's i almost feel like the settling in is a little higher on the tension scale than where we were before this started even though we might have started high and then we've kind of come down on the tension scale but we didn't kind of get back to where we were before i i still feel people are a little tense you know i'm tense i'm definitely tense but anyhow my dad ended up um, moving out for this this situation so this is the first time and it's it's sort of had to do with we had to isolate but then um you know he wasn't exactly (laughs) isolating oh really and so yeah i won't get into that (laughs) to be fair but anyhow it's the first time brandon and i have been alone in our home in over a decade so it's it's a brand new it's it's super weird to be able to um you know just have a conversation without Mm -hmm. anybody hearing um have a fight without you know worried about yeah 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 um have sex so all it's it's a very interesting time and obviously i can't wait for it to be over but i'm really grateful that you know that i'm in the situation i'm in so and it's a weird feeling to be disappointed and simultaneously grateful like that's a weird conflict yeah it is a weird thing and i'd say the same thing myself i'm very lucky i'm very lucky that i'm still working i'm able to still do what i do for the most part even though i've had to adjust and do things online more so and everything but there are so many people that are just in such a terrible way because of this thing that was not of their making, not of their, that's the real kicker of it is that everyone was working hard, doing what they had to do. If you just happen to work in the restaurant industry, your life got flipped on its head. And mm-hmm. there's a ton of industries, anything that had anything to do with anywhere people congregate got shut down. So a lot of people, I am way luckier than a lot of people are. So I'm grateful for it. And at the same time, yeah. I need this shit to be over like yesterday. (laughs) Yesterday, I would love this to be over. But, you know, Jess, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk to me. Um, I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for the education, all the good advice. Don't even worry. But thank you so much. Um, So uh, I wish nothing but the best for you and Brendan. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll see each other in person and be able to hug and not worry about it. Yes, thank you. So thank you so much. And uh, thank you to everybody for listening to The Ready Fox Show. Listen out for more episodes uh, coming out soon.